This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art and music, focusing on genre-bending rock outfit, Indianola. To date, Indianola has put out a number of singles, including songs Zero, Too Good to Be True, and Heartstrings. Releasing album Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye in 2019 and visual album Here Today, Gone Today in 2022. To hash out all things Indianola, today, guys, you're in for a treat because we are sitting down with their chief singer-songwriter, Mr. Owen Beverly. Mr. Beverly, thanks for joining us today, man. Hey, how you doing? How's everybody out there? I wish I wish you could hear the screams. I wish you could hear the <laughs> applause right now. So uh, let's dive in. So um, on my show, I like to give everyone a little background first. So before we dive into the meat of the matter, the art, the music, your craft, I want to give our listeners a little background. So tell us about your roots and and, you know, tell us what led you, you know, down this path to becoming a musician. Sure. So um, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, where I currently live, which is fairly rare to to be from here and live here. Um, as anyone who's been to Nashville in the last decade can tell you, but I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. I started playing guitar probably when I was uh, around 11 or 12 and study jazz guitar in high school and a little bit in college in Charleston, South Carolina. And then I finished with a degree in music composition and theory. And uh, after that, kind of went into songwriting and making records and have been doing that for about 20 years now, which is hard to believe. Different bands, different monikers. I also spent a lot of time as a side musician for other projects and more recently have gotten into production and engineering. I, uh, God, so you have a degree in composition. Oh my God. A lot of late, how many late nights? How many times are you pulling out your hair? You know, I went to a really great public performing arts school and had some great mentors and teachers, Dr. Perry Combs mainly. And when I went to college to study music, there was a lot of things that I, of course, didn't know, but a lot of what they were teaching us was stuff I'd already been trained in, uh, especially ear training and um, the performance aspects of it. But it, it, it was challenging, um, for sure. I've always been a more ear-oriented player and less of a sight reader, although throughout my career and obvious, obviously in college, I've done a fair amount of transcribing and notation, but uh most of my experience most of my experience is more in a uh you know band style entity and, and less so in composing but as, as you know since we're talking about genre bending um those classical influences are a big part of my sensibility as is every element of uh my my training and formative 
years learning about music and recording. So let's talk inspiration. I know every musician has that musician, that band, that act, that, you know, where they said, I want to fucking do that. You know, what's what's yours? Well, um, what really got me into playing the guitar was the bands of the 60s. Um, mm. Jimi Hendrix, Led okay. Zeppelin. Hell yeah. Um, we, me and my punk friends were really... <laughs> really into that stuff in the early 90s as well as uh, as more contemporary uh bands like you know nirvana and um sound garden and a, a lot of things that were current at the time as well and kind of through that love of the guitar as an instrument i also got very tuned into mississippi artists Hmm. Uh, Delta blues musicians and yeah, Robert Johnson, Muddy, Albert King, BB King. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, there's a whole host of amazing musicians. I I know. And um, despite the, the winding nature of my path, one thing about Indianola is, you know, I've tried to at least come back to that a little bit. I, it, it, I almost think of it in a spiritual way, just the music that came out of that part of the world at that time and the way it affected sort of everything we know about pop music and from the Elvis to the Rolling Stones to the Beatles, you know, it was really kind of brewing in these impoverished, marginalized um, communities of color in Mississippi and surrounding areas before that. And there's just something so special about that to me that I try to keep something anchored there, even as, you know, we go off in these um, genre bending, I'll say it again, places (laughs) again. um, I think it's important to remember that rich cultural history of how all this rock and pop music started. So you'd mentioned genre bending in your music and quite eloquently gave us a, an amazing history, history lesson. And I hear that in your music. I, I you know, I, I, I heard the fifties, I heard the sixties, I heard Chuck Berry and rockabilly and blues and Delta and hints of country and even to nineties grunge and even alternative. And I had the hardest Oh, and you're you're making this hard for me, man. I had the <laughs> hardest time trying to pin you down. So, if, for the good people listening, how would you describe your music? You know, I think when you tell someone's story, like we started this conversation, and you, you know, are able to hit on all the individual influences of of, of a writer's uh, life. Um, I know we stopped kind of in high school, but then I went on to study classical music in college um, and jazz. And after that, this was the early 2000s, and that was when Radiohead, Kid A, and Amnesiac. Okay, com- and, okay computer. I, I heard right. that a little bit in some of your uh, The Drunk Lover guitar sure. um, figures. Sugar Rose. Yeah. Had oh, yeah, Sugar Rose. So oh, were, yeah. I heard a little muse too in there. Were you inspired yeah, sure. by that? So, yeah, that 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 early two thousands kind of we still called it alternative at the time, but sure. it, it, there was a there's sort of like a, a British invasion that happened there. I felt like that really the music that was coming out then was really important and it was really pushing a lot of boundaries. So that was influential to me as well. And sort of like I guess when I was out of college, I got a little more focused on the literal craft of songwriting and, you know, became interested in artists like Towns Van Zandt, um, you know, even even Roy Orbison, who I, I, the songs themselves, I mean, to some people are probably more reminiscent of like Motown style songwriting. But I think that the craft that is present in Motown and in like Roy Orbison catalog it's really impressive if you're like under the hood and, and looking at it. And even though he might just be talking about like taking a girl out on a date or something, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of craft work in there that I think is really important and, and shows um, a pedigree that is, is worth paying attention to. Now, really telling the story kind of thing. Telling the story, and in his case, like, you know, choosing words um, that sound great with his voice and also. Uh, buttress up 
the poetic nature of the lyrics um, and also are not super complicated and, and, and easy to understand and digest. And, you know, there's, there, there's, there's millions of great writers in the world that all do it a different way. And I guess I just try to celebrate different writers for what they're able to add to the collective consciousness. And if, if it's unique and it hasn't been done before, it really gets uh, my attention. Now, do you drive the vision of Indianola sound or is it more of a traditional band? It's pretty much just kind of became a moniker for original music that I started making after 2015. But that being said, the group of players that I've had I have right now in Nashville, I've had since 2016. Let's let's give them a little love. Let's give them yeah, a shout sure. out. Yeah. Name on, uh, name and you know what they play. On bass guitar and backing vocals is Chris Gingrich. I've got Stephen Cooper playing lead guitar. I've got Fair Serrano on keys. And we've had a few different drummers, but right now um, Aaron Schaefer Hayes is on drums and he's act- also the drummer on uh, Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye. So when you tour, this is your this is your lineup. This yeah, this is the current Motley Crew that re- renting mini minivans and uh, organizing childcare for for those in the band that have kids. And, You're you know, a good man. You're a good man. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk process. Uh, do you sit down at the piano or obviously probably more fittingly the guitar and play with chords and figures first? Or do you like to get with the band and jam? I usually do most of the writing on my own time. And it's hardly ever, uh, okay, I've, I've set aside an hour. I'm going to sit down and write. Um, I kind of just take it with me everywhere I go. So hmm. I'm in the car, I'm in the grocery store. Um, I try to stay open and, you know, catch that lightning in the bottle of a, of a song idea. And then it kind of just will live in my head. You know, sometimes I'll sit down at the guitar and figure out what key it's in and, Mm. um, maybe work on a little bit a lot of the writing writing at this point in my life is just kind of happening as like a background task in my mind most of the time elaborate what do you mean well when i was younger it was a lot more intentional you know it was sit down and jam and 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 try to come across something and every once in a while i'll get a song idea just from like having the guitar in my hand and noodling around and say oh this is really cool but I guess most of the ideas just kind of come when I'm doing other stuff. Like you're in the shower and Eureka. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'll make a little voice recording on my phone just so I have something to reference it. But it kind of just goes into a uh, you know, little catalog in my mind of collections of ideas that I have going. And when it comes time to make a record... I'll kind of make a list of all the ones that are floating around. Some of them are 100% done. Some of them are 50% done. And I'll kind of look at them all and, and start to choose which ones I feel like will be right for for uh, a record. Do you gravitate towards certain sounds and textures or do they, you know, is it is it that muse that finds you? Sometimes I'm like, God, I would love a, if I had a song like this, you know. A, cl- a classic scenario might be I'm in the car driving, Layla comes on, I'm listening to it. I'm like, gosh, I love this song. And then I say to myself, I wish I had a song like this. And then the drive continues. And then I just kind of start thinking and, you know, maybe, maybe an idea comes, maybe it doesn't. Let's switch gears to, you know, I like to tell the story of an artist's career through their work. So I want to start with uh, the solo Owen Beverly early solo pieces, 2003's The Drunk Lover EP and 2014's Amateur. I want you to give the listeners kind of a bridge to what turned into Indianola. Like, what did you learn in those early years that you still use today? Let's start there first. Well, I made uh, 2003's Drunk Lover EP with Rick Beato. He was the producer on that who's now enjoyed I love uh, his show. That is crazy yeah. to me. Oh my God. What are the odds? So, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so I was fresh out of college um already had some label interest and you know we shopped a few different producers and ended up making it with rick at tree sounds in atlanta georgia and that was my first real experience um you know making a record in a studio with a producer and engineer and 
taking it to mixing and mastering. What do you remember from those days that stuck out? I remember, it, you know, every the, the industry it was kind of in mid-transition from doing everything on analog tape to doing everything um, digitally on Pro on, Tools. On Pro Tools. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that was just a new thing that was happening. So it, it just kind of felt like I was part of something that was still kind of being discovered, which was mm. exciting. And the fidelity obviously was re really cool to just sit there and, and um, be a part of while, while Rick was putting it all together. But I don't remember much, you know, I was... I was just a kid. I, I I was worried about I was worried about different things than um, you know. I, I, having spent so much time in a recording studio, now I just see myself as just kind of you know young and green and <laughs> just just showing up and, and, and waiting kid. to be, waiting <laughs> to become famous. Basically, you know, getting through the process to uh, just kickstart you know the, this this fabulous life that was about to happen. Uh, so tell us about. Uh, yeah, let us hear about the bridge then. What? Why did you feel like you wanted to go from you know putting music out as Owen Beverly to uh, Indianola? Why? Uh, why the reinvention, the Renaissance? That's a good question. Feel like there was one other album that I put out. It's kind of like because it, it has a little bit of a cult following. You can't listen to it on Spotify, but it came out in 2018. It's called Shooting the Bull, and hmm. it was sort of like a all country songwriting record and so at that point i'd kind of done this thing with rick in early in, in 2003 which almost had a uh, proggy uh you know we talked about muse earlier yeah um rock sound to it and then did this sort of country-esque uh record in 08 and then in 2014 the homager record that i made uh i made in denmark with a friend of mine and it was kind of heavily, there was a lot of electronic influences. It was kind of like blended with some, some folky things happening. And so before I made the first Indianola record, I was kind of at a place where it was sort of hard for me to reconcile all the different places I had gone musically, you know, not notwithstanding a couple other bands that I had written original music for in that time too, that had different names, obviously. But it just didn't, I, I didn't know how I didn't know how to put a record out that kind of was going to catch myself up to date of where I thought I was as a writer, as a producer, as a studio musician that to me made sense in that lineage of records that I had made. So I just decided to come up with a, a different moniker to put the music out under. And uh, why did you decide on the moniker Indianola? Like, what what is the significance of the name? Well, I'd had another band when I lived in New York called French Camp, and French Camp is a place in Mississippi, and I felt like w what I liked about that name is that it was kind of reminding myself where I came from and I decided to just do that again and, and use another name from a Mississippi place, which is Indianola where um, a lot of great blues musicians are from. And just like I was mentioning earlier, it, it, it's more like a, a, a grounding and sort of a, a show of reverence to what is important to me and what I think is important to music. Let's transition to Indianola now. So uh, when I was first listening to some of your music, I started with the singles and the EPs, and the thing that stood out to me immediately was your music drips with incredibly rich vocal harmonies. How do you approach writing harmonies like that? It's just like always been something that I really enjoy doing and I hear it when I'm writing the melodies and it honestly end up taking away a lot of it. You know, it it ends up being harmonies everywhere. So then I have to go <laughs> back and be like, okay, we need we can't just have harmonies over the entire song. But um they sound great though. I mean Well thank you. <laughs> the I have a really gifted um, harmonist in Chris Gingrich that's able to pull it off live um, spotlessly. So um, I don't know. It's just 
it's it's so baked like you can't explain it it's just the muse hits you and this is how you write it i can't explain it It just seems like it's supposed to be there and then a lot of times i'll change the vocal melody to make the harmony sound better um but i feel like the harmony is a little boring or a little flat then i'll tweak the vocally you know i'll 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 sacrifice pawn the vocal melody a little bit to make the harmony pop. Let's go back to production and engineering for just a moment, because I think a lot of the, all of the music I heard from Indianola just sounded amazing. It sounded so big and massive. And is that still Rick at the helm or did you change gears to a different producer and engineer at that point? Yeah. So I just made that first record with Rick and, um, you know, for the next, 10 12 years i've worked with a lot of different producers on different projects and engineers and slowly starting to pick things up and right when we started doing the first indianola singles i guess that was in 2015 i started working with a guy named andy dixon he is based in Charleston, South Carolina, where I where I went to school, and has done the last several shovels and rope um, records. He's mixed those. Uh, he's also a phenomenal engineer. And you know, for the first couple of years that we were making Indianola demos, and even uh, "Kiss to Mar Goodbye," Andy was basically my mentor in taught me everything I know about engineering and um, how to put together a mix. I've always had a lot of opinions as a producer or just on the production front, but one common cause of miscommunication between um, individuals in a recording settings is if you have a producer that wants a specific thing, but doesn't know the engineering of how to get there. And to me, one of the most valuable things that I learned from Andy was, you know, mic placement um, and really how to how to how to put together a mix. Um, yeah, that's huge. Because there, there's so much of production to me and the way that I work that is what you do in post and, and how you treat the performances that you have producing to me. It, it, a lot of it is mixing. A lot of it is writing faders on um, reverb or other yeah, effects. Real and, technical stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Making things really dirty, making things really clean, um, making things sound big, making things sound small. And uh, the, 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 the biggest um, threshold I was able, been able to cross with the Indianola project is just able to learn more about how records are made and be able to sit and work on a record um, and, and, and get it to the place that I see it getting to when, I, when I'm first dreaming up the, the sound of it. Absolutely. Student, student for life is how I like to put it. And I loved the, uh, the vocal harmonies and performances you also did in some of the duet compositions you wrote with uh nicole adkins on candy uh, ruby boots on might be losing my mind it's a little different because we're different we're dealing with different theory because of obviously a uh, higher pitch and so how do you do you guys write the pieces together or do you like to do them separately and then figure it out in post how do you kind of approach those kind of things you know i used to do a lot of like co-writes um any any professional songwriter can you know tell you all the all the ups and downs and awkwardness of getting together with someone to do a co-write and from what i've told you about my own process it's not exactly a supernatural thing for me to be like okay today we're sitting down and we're writing a song and we're starting right now okay and now we're finished with it you know, um, I guess robots, I'm just like, right? yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm not, I, I, it is fun. I've, you know, had a lot of high points in my career from songs I've written with other people at, at the risk of losing work um, and being totally candid. I think that I'm sort of at my best when I'm alone. Mm. Um, you know, even if I'm not writing a hundred percent of the song, I really like to bring an idea in that, just needs a little work maybe yeah. um or or just be the person that is just 
tweaking something, you know, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this? So it's actually kind of, um, you know, it, it can be challenging, I think, personally, and I would think for most people um, to kind of just put a date on your calendar, meet someone you possibly never met before and expect to end up with <laughs> the best work you've, you've ever made. Um, but not to say that that doesn't happen, it hasn't happened to me, but it, it's kind of like getting, getting good songs with co-writing in my mind is kind of like, you know, you gotta, you gotta break a few eggs to, to get the omelet. <laughs> to make it omelet. So let's talk about a piece where you're very, very much alone and you're hitting all of us in our soul is uh, track zero, because I feel like this is a standout for me. And I think a lot of people uh, from what I've researched, and uh, this is, this one's powerful, Owen. This one, I think, is telling a story of hardship and despair and it was like you're trying to channel or maybe get out some demons in song zero i i i want to hear about the history there well i appreciate the kind words um you know it's funny there are i don't feel like i'm ever usually writing songs consciously about anything that's going on immediately in my life sometimes it happens more often than not you know, I kind of have to do like a post-mortem and get in there and be like, oh, maybe that was about this thing that was, you know, you were going through then. Uh, when I think about that particular time when writing that song, like nothing really bleak stands out to me. And I think that an explanation of that can be kind of just circling back. Like sometimes I'm just in the mood to write a certain type of song. Mm. That that format with the finger-picking style guitar um kind of in a minor key and the lyrics of the song being relatively simple some a few just kind of like repeating ideas but it you know you probably type all the song lyrics out it's just a couple sentences and and to me when i when i write a song like that when i go to that place when i want to express in that way i'm really just tapping into something that i like to do so you weren't going through a breakup I was I, not a at loss that time. In family, or I wasn't. You know, I wasn't. I thought I, I. You know, when I heard you sing this song, I was like, "Oh man, what?" That, let's not just say that. You know, we, we've all experienced so much in our lifetime. You know, to me, songs they don't have a time stamp. It's you're talking a little bit about. The best ones are timeless, absolutely. Right. So to me, it's like you know, I can of course think of a lot of painful things that have happened in my life before that that influenced um where that kind of raw emotion comes from but i can't honestly say that in that exact time of my life like i think i was actually doing pretty good <laughs> i remember being pretty happy then well uh curveball folks the, the <laughs> twist ending to the to zero is um he was doing just fine and that leads us to 2019's kiss tomorrow goodbye so i probably uh, spoiler alert, Owen, I, I probably listened to this one the most when I was getting into your mu- music, so I'm probably most versed with this album, and so I have a lot of uh, good good questions for you. I, I Let's obviously start, let's start just, you know, we're going to go top to bottom and start with track number one, Too Good to Be True. Uh, this is actually the very first song I heard when we got this booking for this interview, and I have to say, um, I'm not just saying this. I, I I got some chills when your when your vocal hit, and it was again that very massive uh, kind of production. Your 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 vocal way in the foreground, and you hitting those kind of harmonies. And this is the kind of melody where I I know I'm in love with a melody when it lingers in my mind, and I find myself humming it days and days, and sometimes weeks after. And too good to be true is one of those tracks for me. So when you come in with Dreams of You, that very first lyric, I mean, how do you approach a vocal performance like that? I mean, are you are you the actor that goes method or do you let things rip or are you the perfectionist that you got to do it a million times to get it right? I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, it, it really depends. And to just touch on, again, being able to connect the engineering um and the recording to the final product every vocal performance is different um at least for me and some sometimes the perfect mic is a mic that is not the right 
mic for a different performance. Um, the the voice is so dynamic. Um, there there's so much emotion to the performance that it can be a little bit hard to predict. Like oh, I'm going to sing it this way. I'm going to use this microphone. I'm going to use this preamp. So to answer your question, I will definitely. To redo something to death until it sounds like I think it's supposed <laughs> to sound. Um, I think with that one, I got lucky. I don't. I don't think we had to redo that one. But you know, it, there's a lot of. So there's a perfectionist. Deep there's down definitely in it. a perfectionist, and it, it's hard to really know what the vocal is going to sound like until you do it. So you're sitting yeah, around you writing the song. You're playing the song for yourself. You're like, oh my gosh, this song's great. You get in the studio, you start to sing, and maybe it just doesn't sound right. And um, it doesn't mean it has to take weeks. It doesn't mean it has to take multiple attempts. Like, hopefully, in that those first couple passes, you're like, okay, I need to chill out a little bit for this. I don't need to use my full voice. Or maybe I'll use a little bit more head voice here. Or, you know, so... For me, I'm not just like, uh, I wasn't born a brilliant singer. It's something I worked on a lot of times. So I always bring a very analytical brain of like, okay, here's what I need to do. I need I need to make this melody sound like uh, I mean it and I can sing it well. What do I have in my toolkit to pull out to, to, to get it to the place it needs to be? Well, I heard that, you know, like you said, and like we talked about earlier, we've had you've had 20 years, you know, your first EP was in 2003 and I could hear the maturity in your evolution and your vocal. And, um, it was, I feel like you're really honing in on how your temper changed over time, just with, with, with a, not only with age, but with experience. Totally. There's, I, I thought that I was Jeff Buckley when I was 19 years old, where it turns out I'm more like a Bob Dylan. You know, <laughs> <laughs> now, now you uh, don't don't sell yourself short. Come on. No, no. I, I, I really love the vocals on this album. Um, 1960s. I mean, I could see this song in a Quentin Tarantino film. Want me back. I mean, this is when I, you know, just like zero. Um, I did want to make a point about this. You know, you go from some of these, you know, rich harmonies and vocal melodies to to that you know 90s era grunge growl you know you you're you're not afraid to to fry that vocal sometimes and i feel like that's when the performance becomes you know a little more theatrical when you want to get communicate to the audience like there's more here and this is how i'm going to give it to you yeah that that's the jeff buckley hanging on there for dear life (laughs) Um, as we get older, our voices change, obviously my range, not, not only has, uh, the courage of my range decrease, but also the physicality of it. Yeah. The gymnastics Um, of it. Absolutely. Right. Now I try to aim a little bit smaller, um, on that record. There were, there were definitely some moments where I wanted to belt it and shred it and, um, I'll always have that preserved in time to go back and listen to and be like, you remember how easy that was, <laughs> but it gets harder. It gets harder to uh, demand some of that stuff from the voice, especially if you've got like a rigorous touring schedule and you're having to do it every night. Is there anything on that note? Is there anything you back off from then? You're like, I'm not playing that song tonight. I'm just going to kill my voice. I'm going to, I'm going to well, tell you that the high note at the end of want be back is really far up there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I hear I, it. <laughs> I, I, I could have done that. I could have dropped that key, but by a whole step but if i wasn't on tour every night i could do it um yeah. if i was touring every single night we'd probably do a uh, truncated ending there pull it back a little bit Ho- hopefully not disappoint any any repeat customers <laughs> uh next track on the album is mid-century modern um the guitar solo and the bridge let's talk shop uh, i feel like we were we were conjuring the soul of chuck berry what was your approach there yeah so like a lot of these songs on this record and sort of part of the just inspiration of indianola was um blues music and i'm gonna get a little like music theory here for a second but oh, nerd out man uh, blues chord progression the 12 bar Blues chord progression has three chords, the one and the four and the five. Um, and 
there are several songs on this record that really kind of maintain loosely that chord structure. And um, part of the challenge for me was, you know, I don't want to just go out and be a blues musician. That's not my story. And this is you. This is you doing the guitar solo or did you yeah i did okay. play that one okay what i do think is important is to um showcase uh those sensibilities in what i do so it's more about i don't think i could bring the authenticity needed to go out there and say you know i'm chuck berry um i'm albert king well, I, I bring that up because in the very next song, Every Day I Got the Blues, it's a completely different guitar solo near the outro. I mean, these are it's like it's like night and day. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, again, like that that that's another Every Day I've Got the Blues is a very popular blues song and with the I tweak the title a little bit, but the homage is kind of there, you know, it's like is it a blues song? Like, kind of. It's got a very kind of like boogie woogie type beat for it, but sure. then in the chorus, it kind of goes into this chromatic thing. So, if you can pick up on what I'm saying, it's like I'm like I want to infuse these parts of my story that are important, but I want it to do. I want to do it in the light that is representative of the music that I make. So throwing a little Chuck Berry riff in there, which is probably the first, one of the first riffs my guitar teacher taught me how to play on the guitar. Like Johnny it's just Good, a, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. It's just a fun way for me to drop that in there. But really, when you listen to the song, you're not saying, oh, this is a blues song. I'm, I'm talking about mid-century modern. Um, yeah. But if you break down the chord structure, it, it really is that. I, it's, a, it's a standout for me. It's one of my favorites up there with uh, Too Good to Be True. And then uh, just like we already talked about, next track on the album is Every, Every Day I Got the Blues and then Awkward Phase. And then uh, another standout for me was Fame is a Mistress. I really love the textures you built here. It's just, I would bill it as an odyssey of sounds. Um, speak to the construction of this piece a little bit for us. As I was starting to get a little more comfortable as a producer on this record, you know, I, I took a few liberties to kind of get out there and see what kind of weird stuff could come up with in the synth and guitar realm. Yeah. And gosh, I think that song... That song got arranged and rearranged uh, through several iterations before it, it landed on, on, on where it landed. Did it feel like a million times, one of those, like mixed into the I think it was first? more like it kind of started out with a baritone spaghetti Western type feel to it and um, just evolved. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it evolved to just being a little bit more maniacal and kind of all over the place which um which is cool but you know i think like if you're just gonna look at all the records back to back like maybe that's just an instance where a lot of uh what you experience in the visual album is kind of starting to show up yeah put a pit in that because before we get there the next track is how did i get so rock and roll white and then the next track is white lies and then i, I do want to take a, a moment to talk about write it in blood because this song kind of has a vulnerability to it. And I, I just kind of want to understand the story of the song. Yeah, you know, I can tell you that actually I wrote in a tough time. It was a tough time personally. It was a tough time career-wise. And it's one of those, the, the greatest gift of songwriting is when you just get one and it just kind of like a stork drops it off on your doorstep and the writing of it happens really fast and really immediate and it all comes together and it's just like um it's just the best feeling in the world and i know that that happened with that song and you know i think that what i'm talking about is we have all these like really heavy oftentimes negative experiences that that shape us and I, I think that's the meaning of the song it's like we want to live these rich informed lives but we're pretty skittish when it comes to like getting through the work of a tragedy or something really challenging 
But to me, that is sort of, you know, that, that, that informs the, the meaning of, of, of a lot of what life is. I, I think it's like, you can't really ever know yourself until you have these experiences. And I, I think that's what I mean by write it in blood. It's like, if, if you want, if you want to live, you're going to have to write some things down with your own blood. And I think it was a perfect closer too for that album. It was it hard to place the songs in their appropriate positions on the album, or did it? Do you feel like it came effortlessly? There's a little bit of back and forth. My manager and really good friend Paul Bannister is my go-to. They, they used to call this A and R. I don't know if they still call it that, but you know, we'll it's really it important. <laughs> yeah, it's really important to me. Um, and becoming more and more so to see the whole album as, you know, a, a single complete thought. And it feels that way. It's like one vision. Like, I feel like as soon as I ended it, I was the, the package is complete. This is a nice bow. Thank you. There's a little auditioning of there's this one supposed to be here. Is this one supposed to be here? But I think it was pretty easy. I think when you go into it, like really thinking about what the sequence is going to be it helps kind of create transitions it helps put songs together that um are in key signatures that kind of relate to each other even if they're not in the same key um even anybody's ear can kind of hear when a song is followed by another song that lifts it someplace you know you could you could write a dissertation uh, in music theory for why that is, but it's easier to just listen for it. And it, it, it just, I, I love that part of putting together records is the sequence and really trying to elevate all the way through. So let's take the pin out now and talk 2022's visual album here today, gone today. Explain to the good people what you mean when you build this as a visual album. Basically, it was the height of the pandemic when I was writing the material and I knew that I had started getting into video videography and video editing, um, mostly for social media type stuff, but I wanted to do a big visual project and it seemed a little, it seemed like it was going to be a little bit too much to do a full length record and um, do something uh, that accompanied that visually that could, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to make a 45 minute video that would have just killed me. So instead of making a 10 song record, I made a four song record and then made the length of the four songs uh, music video that had sort of a science fiction concept. Did you shoot the short film yourself then? I shot it with my roommate, Curtis Millard. Um, wow. He did most of the filming, but I did all the editing myself. Oh, wow. So you you were, there was a part of me that was like, was this passed on to, you know, a DP, like a videographer, someone to make it with your vision? But it was, it was your baby from the beginning. Yeah, that is right. And it was all, you know, I didn't, I didn't start writing the first song. You know, I had the concept in mind. I knew, had a rough outline of um, what the prologue of the film would be and sort of how I wanted to put it together. You know, there's a lot of abstraction in there that sort of just came during the, the creative pro process. But, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was executed. I was very happy with the way we sort of take the idea and then execute it. And, and why go down this route? Why uh, try this visual album, this different concept, this different project instead of a traditional, you know, 10 to 12 track album? Well, it's, I, I have to keep things interesting for me. And, sure. um, Amen. <laughs> you know, if whenever I'm making an album or a big project, like I've got to really believe in it, you know, there has to be something about it that I think is, uh, meaningful. And usually there's something that I want to learn how to be better at attached to it too. So, you know, in this situation, I was just really into the world of video and was just ready to take a crack at something that would be longer than like, you know, a three minute music video. Um, so that's kind of just how the whole idea came together. But, you know, I learned I learned so much um, 
and now I'm, I'm editing a music video for um, some friends of mine right now. And it's like, you know, all these little things I've picked up and learned how to do because um, I haven't always had a $10,000 budget to go into a recording studio and well, pay a producer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, that's kind of how I got into engineering. And, you know, I don't always have a budget to go out and shoot a music video with somebody. So that's how I kind of got into editing and now I have gotten into filming. And so uh, tell the good people how they can experience here today, gone today. Is it through your website here today? Gone today had a single broadcast that um, people could participate in. It was a little bit of a play on words for the name of the uh, piece, but I am putting it out this summer. Um, I would give you a firm date, but I don't have it. The idea was basically, um, you know, it's just so hard to monetize our art form now. You know, you can put a video on YouTube and you can add an album to Spotify, but it could be years um, to see anything from it. And there's always a chance that you won't see anything from it. Um, especially outside of whatever cost you've already spent on the production. So to me, it's like really important that we come up with creative ideas um, because it's not the listener's fault. It's just that the times have changed. The mediums have changed. The format has changed. It's all really convenient. And it's also all really cheap. So what's the best way for the good people to check out Indianola then? Go to Spotify and listen on Spotify. And when we do promotions for the visual album or when we, I I think a good way to put out music is to either have vinyl. People can Mm -hmm. buy vinyl. That's a great revenue stream for artists. Or I have this on my Owen Beverly site. You can just go there and buy Owen Beverly music and download it just like that. You, of course, don't have to. You can listen to it on Spotify. But I think when you give people the option to support, they usually take it. So what does the future hold for uh, for you at Indianola then? I'm finishing the next full-length Indianola album right now. So i um, been working on it. I think there's a good chance it can be out by the end of the year. Um I started tracking in February, and so I guess we're a few months in. I don't have quite as much time as I'd like to spend on it, but I'm going to be able to work on it a little bit tomorrow. But it's sounding great. Um, It's got a little bit more of an organic vibe. I'd say it's kind of, it's a step away from sort of the massive sonic, production experience that the visual album was and it's a little bit more stripped down a little bit more kind of i don't know what the right word for it is but i guess you guys will just have to wait and find out well we can't wait to hear it i'm very excited uh clearly you you have gained one more fan here with the NDP family. And I know you're going to have a ton more. In fact, I have a feeling, um, Mr. Beverly, I think uh, we're going to chat again down the road because Love I'm to. excited. Be my to, pleasure. Yes. I'm excited to see how your career blossoms and change changes. And I, I have a feeling that uh, we're going to see you around for a while. So um, with that being said, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me again, guys. Uh, you can check out Owen Beverly and Indianola at Indianola music.com. That's I N D I A. N-O-L-A music.com. Now, instead of our normal outro, like I always do on every goddamn show, you know, I think it would be fitting for Owen and his band to play us out. And I know you've heard the song (laughs) talked about in the show many times. So without further ado, performing Too Good to Be True, ladies and gentlemen, Indianola. (laughs) Wake up. Open your eyes. It was only a dream. Or was it?
Bye.